Crypto Watch is presented by theconstantinvestor.com. I'm Alan Kohler, and every day my writing and podcasts put the financial world into context with a focus on the issues that matter. Join us today. It's only a dollar for the first month. And now it's time for this week's Crypto Watch. Greg Demopoulos here with this week's crypto interview. And today it's with Rupert Hackett, the CEO of Melbourne-based cryptocurrency exchange bitcoin.com.au. Rupert is also the only Australian representative of the newly formed International Decentralized Association of Cryptocurrency and Blockchain, which seeks to become the United Nations of the blockchain community. Rupert, how and why does the cryptocurrency space need to mature? Um, the cryptocurrency space um, is maturing of its own accord, and this is particularly what you want to see from an early stage tech. So, when we talk about cryptocurrency, really what we're talking about is a new internet protocol. Um, and if you've ever kind of used Bitcoin over the last or any digital currency over the last three, four years, you know that it isn't really designed around a um, user experience. So, really, what it's up to is the um, entrepreneurs and the companies to create solutions that provide um, usability effectively. So it's analogous to if we think of the internet when it first started, but the real way it became a useful protocol, say HTTPS or um, TCP IP, was around the web browser. Um, and this is kind of what we're talking about when we think of maturity of cryptocurrency. Um, there's the, the enterprise-based maturity. Then there's also the maturity, I think, from a regulatory level. Um, and that, that really comes down to first the scalability of the tech. There has to be a problem that needs solving. Um, and I think that's probably a, a more interesting area um, because one, you've got this, this new technology that really is a game changer in many regards, um, particularly to what this implies from a level of um, how do we perform KYC and identity, cross-border payments, these types of things. Um, and so maturity, I think, implies that regulators form a fostering environment um, that allow consumers to have a level of protection and countries to have a certain level of uh, standardization, which enables more and more people to have a, a, a higher amount of trust within the ecosystem, which then in turn creates more and more scalability. Now, in terms of regulation, what's actually going on here in Australia with that, with both uh, cryptocurrencies and blockchain? Has the government set up any inquiries into it all? Um, yeah, so so I um, I have a board director seat on the Australian Digital Commerce Association, and um, we've spent about two years uh, interfacing with regulators. Um, so just to give you a bit of background, um, Nick Corretto is our managing director, and we represent about um, I think about eleven to thirteen cryptocurrency exchanges in Australia. And then we have a whole bunch of members, including ING Bank, ENY, um, PwC, Optus. Ozpost, um, Victorian government, they're all members that sit as a part of this organization. So in the last two years, what we did is we created a um, internal kind of standardization um, of, of regulation that was kind of fostered by the community. So it was kind of like a, a code of conduct, basically. Um, and so what we did two years ago is we kind of we pushed that in the engagement with Oztrack and said, um, you know, we want to work with you we um, we think that we need to create fostering uh, environment for this tech, and so it's been a long road. But 
in this process, we have managed to form regulation, um, which is coming into effect as law on April 3rd. Um, and this, this really, <clears throat> what this will do is it creates a standardization of reporting from digital currency exchanges to Austrac. Um, and this is widely received as positive news for the industry um, because the, the, the hardest thing in running the cryptocurrency exchanges <clears throat> is really knowing what is good practice and what is bad practice. And how do we define the good players from the bad players? And in my interpretation, this regulation is the beginning of uh, consumers having a certain level of assurance and protection on um, who they should be dealing with and who's responsible, who's a good agent, and um, those that aren't. Now, you're the only Australian representative of the International Decentralized Association of Cryptocurrency and Blockchain, which thinks of itself as the United Nations of blockchain. Why is there such a need for such a body? Um, yeah, so so I'm the, uh, the representative of ANCA to the IDACB, um, and there's, they're effectively looking for one representative per country. So this was formed in um, December last year. Did, you have, to, uh, did making... you have to apply to be the representative or were you handpicked? Um, so I had some, some engagement with them um, and was through my network. I've you know, been in this space for about four years professionally now. Um, it was through that that they engaged me as a knowing that I was with ADCA. Um, and I, I, want, I, I basically am, am a big believer on the importance of having a global um, collaboration for regulation. And it's one of the, the kind of the challenges, I think, um, in kind of approaching regulators is that you have to recognize what they need, their, their intentions, but you also have to have a serious conversation about this tech and its implications. Um, by default, I've kind of found myself that I'm um, kind of, you know, have pushed a lot towards trying to assist regulators in understanding the implications of this technology. Um, and by default from that, um, I believe it's important that we do this on a global scale. Um, <clears throat> one of the biggest challenges in a digital currency transaction is that there's really no way of um, putting a geolocation on the trade. So we can kind of say it originated from an IP in this general direction, um, this general location, but it's principally different from your understanding of a bank transaction or something like this. Effectively, it's everywhere in the world instantly. As a result, if we don't look at regulation on a global scale, then we really create um, holes, basically. And those, those holes are, you know, entities and uh, companies or sorry countries where you can start to kind of break down on that intention of regulation um effective you know you know how we have some jurisdictions that become the centers of gambling um, or tax havens where a lot of companies incorporate the principle in a digital currency exchange is whatever country gets regulation right will effectively adopt um, a huge amount of business globally because the principal transaction is global um when it's initiated. So the IDACB is kind of set out to create a, a dialogue between countries um, and basically say, well, what is each country having a problem with and how do we create communication? Um, it's very important, I think, that we start and, and try to push for something that allows countries to have an open forum. Um, and really, that's my intention behind the IDACB and the initial meetings that we've had. Uh, it's very much an open panel discussion to talk about what's happening in each country and how can we define what is good and bad regulation. 
and then use what each country knows to create uh, a fostering environment on a global scale. Now, when it comes to cryptocurrencies, there are obviously thousands on the market, yet your exchange only has two, Bitcoin and Ethereum. Why is that? Yeah, so I think um, it's a big challenge when we look at, say, the scale um, of cryptocurrency or the barrier to entry to create a cryptocurrency. What what we really need to do is we need to assess what is the, the validation of this cryptocurrency um, and, and, and what is the actual usability or um, from a customer-focused perspective. <clears throat> Our value model is around retail infrastructure um, on an OTC exchange basis. So really what we need to consider is, well, when we're talking to people that are mass market. And so we need to make sure that one, is this cryptocurrency easy to understand? And do we want to back this and support this um, to our users? So when I started in this space, um, when we launched Bitcoin.com.au, there was only Bitcoin. Um, Ethereum didn't exist at that point. And still to this day, um, if you're walking down the street and you're trying to convince someone towards what is digital currency, it's much easier to work on a, a simple proposal. Um, and these days, Bitcoin is actually seen as one of the most conservative and easy to understand cryptocurrencies, um, being that it's like a digital gold. Where if we speak to Ethereum, then we've got a decentralized um, computer or smart contracting language that allows us to create decentralized applications. Um, and then this becomes a bit more abstracted from reality and a bit harder to comprehend. So then when we go into the much larger space of 1500 cryptocurrencies, a lot of these really have a core value principle of speculative um, investment. So, so what I mean is that majority of these don't really have users or trade or really have um, what they're designed to build built. Um, and so really what you're investing in is more of a um, option or stock in a early stage tech startup. And um, that can be a bit confusing to the everyday person. And, um, and you have to take a very kind of rational approach on is this something which, which you want to really um, develop the infrastructure towards? And also, is there a market? Um, what we see is that a lot of these early stage ICOs, um, which probably is the majority of coins today, um, the, the principle of why people are buying it is on this speculation. Um, we don't really want to drive the, the, the incentivization to speculate on a cryptocurrency. We want to drive usability and a, a certain level of, of consumer protection. Um, and it's it's very challenging of saying, well, is there actually a market for cash into this crypto or is this people more just diversifying once they're in the cryptocurrency? Um, and again, I think that in the future, there's a lot of promise and potential in a lot of those projects, um, but it's something where it's still very early. Um, we, we talk Bitcoin as being very early and that's probably been around for you know about eight, nine years now. So. So I think in the relative terms, um, we're, we're more conservative because we think that we have a certain level of due diligence to our customers um, as generally they are just entering this space. We have to be very um, understanding that we don't want to push cryptocurrencies unless they're, um, they're, they're very conservative effectively. Now, your business, Bitcoin.com.au, recently partnered, partnered with news agencies around the nation to... Uh, for customers to be able to buy both Bitcoin and Ethereum, how's that all been going? Um, yeah, it's been it's been really well. So, what we've done is we've um, created a service where I think it's it's interesting because in this space you've kind of got 
one principal model of exchange, um, which is a, an open book peer-to-peer platform. Um, so this is your, your GDAX, your Binance, your Bitfinex. Um, and what, really what that requires is someone to create an account on a platform, um, wire money to that platform, um, and then trade on it at a high frequency with an open book. Um, effectively, you've got a, a market maker and you buy coins off someone else. The challenges in that model is one, the, the time delay, where it can take um, you know, a few days to a few weeks to get KYC. Um, and then you've got to send the money, which if it's an international exchange, will require you to send money to you know, Portugal or Mongolia or some kind of strange country, um, which then adds a lot of risk into the trade. Um, and then effectively what you're doing is you're, you're trusting a, a central service in an unregulated environment with, with those funds. And if you've been in this space long enough, you understand that these exchanges have security breaches. Um, obviously, I think that the biggest one was Antigox in December of 2014 that lost 800,000 Bitcoins. At that point, it was doing 80% of the trade in cryptocurrency globally. Um, and you probably see about two a year of these high-profile breaches of peer-to-peer um, platform open book exchanges. So what we decided to do is we said, well, What's happening is you've got this counterparty risk. Um, and effectively, it's like asking someone to trust an unregulated bank with their money. So what we decided to do was to build a model without that. And so what we did is we built this into the point of sale and retail uh, uh, points. So in news agents, you can go in, you download a, a Bitcoin or Ethereum wallet, you scan your wallet QR code at the point of sale, you say to the cashier, I'd like to buy $1,000, give him $1,000. And then within 20 minutes, we deliver those Bitcoins to that third party, um, to any wallet of your choice. So effectively, in our model, the the counterparty risk is limited to about 20 minutes. Uh, In terms of a a threat from a a hacker, we don't have a honeypot, so to speak. We don't hold consumer funds for weeks and months um, or years. So, So what that does is it really assures the user that um, one, that they don't have to trust us that we're going to go down with their money because there's a very small window of opportunity for that to happen, uh, which is you know, pretty negligible in comparison to the other models. Um, and secondly, there's a lot of, of trust in the fact that we deliver those coins to a third party. So we could not do quantitative banking um, or effectively use a user's funds to go and invest on our own. Um, because we don't hold those funds, we deliver it <coughs> to a third party. So, so really, what we saw is that in this space, people needed a, a service with a high level of trust and a high le- level of tangibility, um, and that's really what we've created. And yeah, the the, the reception has been um, incredibly positive, and um, yeah, it's been a, a, a great ride so far. Now, looking forward in the space, what role do you really see cryptocurrencies taking in, say, five to ten years' time? Yeah, I think that it's it's a very exciting area in the next five, 10 years. Um, I'll give you, you one example. So it's quite interesting when we look at Bitcoin, and, and Bitcoin is probably what I spend you know 90% of my time thinking about. Um, when we look at Bitcoin, it's been around for about eight, nine years. And in this time to date, it has only had one improvement in the protocol. And this went uh, into effect almost a year ago. Um, and only today are we really seeing it take into effect from a, a business or consumer perspective. 
And this was um, SegWits, the activation of a soft fork, a soft fork with a proposal called SegWit, which enabled a thing called segregated witness. Um, I, I spoke on the constant investor last time to that point. Um, but effectively, this opens up fundamental change in Bitcoin. At current, Bitcoin can only do seven transactions a second. Due to SegWit, it creates um, a, a technology called payment channels. And what this does is it creates a, a second layer solution that allows centralized services or effectively people to stake Bitcoins, um, effectively like, like banks. But this scales out Bitcoin to do um, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of transactions a second at practically no cost. Um, this is this is game changing. This is a much bigger change. Which again, this is at a beta stage today. This hasn't come into effect. Payment channels. This is a bigger change than anything we've seen to date in Bitcoin. Um, and to put this in perspective, uh, I've worked in this industry from when Bitcoin was two hundred US dollars. From two hundred US dollars in the rally up to twenty thousand US dollars, the technology principally had not changed that whole time. Um, what we're talking about now is changing it from seven transactions a second to hundreds of thousands of millions of transactions a second. This fundamentally changes the scalability, the types of complexity, um, and the utility of, of digital currency. Um, so I think, I think that is going to be a fundamental change to what we think of as Bitcoin in the next five, 10 years. I see it opening the doors for micropayments, um, IoT device-based payments, um, merchant-based facilities and payments. And all these things will build a lot more complexity, um, you know, just simple things like imagine if um, you'd go to a, a restaurant and you could just auto-split your bill, um, whatever percentages that people wanted to pay, and then you'd auto-get your accounting and receipt delivered to your Bitcoin wallet. All that type of stuff is is really not difficult to, to create um, or to see the potential of, of we could make that in this space. Um, and really, I think that in the next five, 10 years, we're going to start seeing that level of um, infrastructure be built into the currency itself. And I think that really that will change the fundamentals of what, how we interface the digital currency and what we um, think of as digital currency. Today, it's really taken more of a speculative uh, long-term investment. The word, um, which some of you are probably familiar with, is HODL, which is the, the idea that you, you buy Bitcoin and you keep it as a store of value. Um, really, this opens it up to be more of a currency than a commodity. And I think that will be the next trend in the next five, 10 years. And for newcomers, what are some of the big do's and don'ts with this whole sector that they should always keep in mind? Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I think that the first thing is um, don't invest more money than you're willing to lose. It's a, it's a very um, tricky area, but you need to always brace yourself. This is a, this is a tech without precedence. Um, when what you're investing in is something which is uh, incredibly speculative at current, and you need to be aware of that. You don't want to invest uh, on an assumption that this is a sure thing, um, unless you're willing to part with that money easily, uh, because there's really no no guarantee um, that this tech will be guaranteed money. Um, it's it's all very new, cutting edge, and from that you need to assess the risk. Um, I think the other thing is to, that I've seen recently, which I'm kind of, you know, wasn't expecting, is the level of trust that people have put in these new central services, the exchanges, basically. Um, so, so one thing that people should be aware of in digital currency is that 
you don't need to trust anyone, so so you probably shouldn't unless um, they're offering great consumer value. You can store digital currency under your mattress like you would store cash or gold through devices, um, cold storage devices like a ledger or a trader. Um, these are what I personally use. Um, and, and basically, you shouldn't trust an unregulated bank with your cryptocurrency. Um, and really, that's what I've seen as a big thing of late. There's a great statistic that came out recently. Um, so with these centralized exchanges, they, they take a commission on every trade. But effectively, the cryptocurrency and money never leaves their service. So what we're seeing is that of the you know 10 to 20 billion that's traded in Bitcoin every 24 hours, these exchanges are doing about twice that number without paying any fees, without actually moving any money. They're actually trading you know 20 to 40 billion every day without actually the money being traded. It's just sitting in their accounts and they're they're adjudicating it. So what this is implying to me is that there's a major amount of um, trust that people have given to these centralized services. Um, and they, I don't think they're quite comprehending it. It's still an unregulated space. There's no, there's no security standards of what they should and should be doing. And precedence tells us that every year we see that two of these um, have a, a high level breach of security or loss of funds through mismanagement. Um, and so I, I think that people need to be very cautious towards trusting those services and um, look into cold storage-based um, hardware devices like ledgers and tracers. Um, and that would be my other kind of big thing, which I see is uh, something which um, people should, should really be aware of uh, because this space, the whole intention is that we can remove centralized services and create a more peer-to-peer decentralized uh, economic framework. Um, and, and instead, we don't want to recreate the same problems because that's where the risk is. Um, that's what I think is uh, what people should, should really be focusing on today. I think we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Rupert. No worries. Thank you. That was Rupert Hackett, the CEO of Melbourne-based cryptocurrency exchange, bitcoin.com.au.